Welcome to Unleash Your Best Clinical Self podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. If you're a physiotherapist or a movement professional who feels like you're stuck in a rut, then my podcast is for you. This podcast is focused on helping you move from frustration to flow in your clinical practice. So in each episode, I'll be sharing strategies, approaches, and my latest thinking on how you can improve your clinical performance and keep loving what you do. This is episode number 58, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about what I believe to be the number one key to better clinical performance. But before I dive in, I want to let you know that I have a newsletter where I talk about topics relating to improving clinical performance. If you're interested, make sure to head over to 360clinician.com to sign up. You know, it's amazing the amount of information that gets thrown on us on a daily basis. You know, if we just think in our lives in terms of social media feeds, email, plus all the information that we need to sift through when we're seeing patients through today, it's, it's really easy to get stuck into thinking that better clinical performance comes down to consuming more and more information. But here's the rub. There's only so much information that we can process at once, and there's only so much that we can focus on. You know, there was this quote that I came across from the late renowned physician, William Osler, who I think just, just sums it up so beautifully. He says, we miss more by not seeing than by not knowing. I'm just going to repeat that again. We miss more by not seeing than by not knowing. And knowing is important, right? Having a good, solid clinical knowledge base is really important. But seeing is even more important because if we can't see, it doesn't matter how much we know. And we really need to be able to see in order to be able to connect the dots in terms of what's going on for our patients and really be able to understand how to best approach our treatments and understand uh, our assessment diagnosis. And we have to ask ourselves, what if it is our inability to see that's affecting our clinical performance? I just think back to those clinical cases where I wondered, like, how did I miss that? What seems so self-evident now wasn't the case in that moment. And it's not necessarily that my knowledge base increased since that experience, but it was my ability to perceive that changed. You know, or take, take a scenario just in everyday life where you're stressed, you're running behind, you can't find your car keys, and then you realize they're on the counter staring right at you. It's like, how did I miss that? Optimizing our attention allows us to see the patient who's in front of us. And it's really the scene that allows us to understand and connect the dots of what's going on for them. But the problem is that attention is a finite resource. Daniel Letvin in his book, The Organized Mind, highlights this dilemma. He shares the limited bandwidth that we face with conscious attention. In fact, he goes on to share how we can only process about 120 bits of information per second, which is really the equivalent of two people talking to us. I have two young boys, and when they're trying to talk to me at the same time, it's pretty tough to actually make sense of what's going on. And so we have this processing bottleneck, and so our brain is working behind the scenes to filter out a lot of information. It's trying to tease out what's relevant, what's not relevant. And the problem is that sometimes we can end up tuning out really important information. There's this phenomenon called inattentional blindness which is this experience where we fail to perceive an unexpected stimulus because of a lack of attention. So there was this really interesting study I came across that looks at this phenomena, and it was looking at this case of radiologists. And the article is called The Invisible Gorilla Strikes Again, Sustained Inattentional Blindness in Expert Observers. And so 
Researchers had seen that this inattentional blindness could happen to everyday people, but they were like, well, does this really happen with experts? And in this case, radiologists. And so what they did is they took a total of 24 radiologists. And they were required to go through a number of CT scans of the lungs and were instructed to look for lung nodules. So amid the stack of scans, there was an outline of a gorilla, which was in fact 48 times the average size of a nodule. And this was inserted in some of the lung images. And it showed that 83% of the radiologists missed the gorilla, which is crazy, right? I mean, you think about it, it's 48 times the size of a nodule. You think that you'd be able to pick this up. And so what the study highlighted was that highly trained experts, they're not immune to inattentional blindness. So the next time you find yourself asking like, how did I miss that? Remember that it might be an attention issue, not a knowledge issue. So now I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about three simple strategies that you can use to improve your clinical performance and increase your ability to see in a deeper way so that you can get better clinical results with your patients. So first off, I want to talk about the strategy of changing your area of focus. When a patient comes in with pain, we tend to just zero in right into that site of pain. We direct all of our attention to that area of concern. So in case of it's a knee issue, we give all of our attention to the knee and we may only give cursory attention to the areas above and below the knee. But we have to start thinking about practicing and changing our focus, allowing yourself to move back and forth between the site of pain and the areas above and below. And I like to think of this idea of a camera, zooming, uh, zoom lens of a camera. You zoom in, you zoom out. If you're always zoomed in, you can't see what's around you. You can't see what's, what's uh, beyond your lens, which is zoomed in. And so this idea of being able to zoom in and zoom out is a really helpful construct mentally that I've found where you can actually really start to better connect the dots in terms of what's going on. And it allows you the space and time to be able to start to tune into different stimuli. And this is something that I help therapists get better at in my group coaching program. And so when you switch your focus of attention, what it does is it allows you to explore new connections and it allows you to perceive different stimuli. And the other benefit of this is that it gives your subconscious mind time to process and make connections beyond what the conscious mind can do. So in, as an example with the knee again, if I'm looking at the knee and then I move to doing my neuro exam and it gives my mind time to start to process what's going on and I might realize, oh, hang on a second, I actually forgot to test this. I should go back and look at that with the knee. Or I might be looking at the hip complex and realize that there's something going on with the hip and then I'm like, well, hang on a second, this actually informs some of what I found with my knee exam. And so what it does is it allows you to explore these new connections and it gives you that time and space to be able to start for your subconscious mind to really start to connect those dots and to just process at a different level. Now, another way that you can zoom in and out is by changing your focus beyond just an MSK perspective and consider psychosocial issues that might be contributing to ongoing symptoms. It might be looking at that patient's pain belief. So again, you're zooming out. You're looking at what else is going on here. Or you might zoom out and look at their sleep health. When you do that, it really can help you to, again, give you a little bit of space, a little time for your subconscious to process what's going on and what you've done in terms of your assessment. And it might be also something that you do outside of the clinical session. Sometimes I find that's a little bit easier if you're like, okay, I need to do some zooming out here. I feel like I'm getting stuck in terms of what's going on with this patient. I'm going to spend a bit of time outside of the session to zoom out and see what other things I could be considering and then come back to that next session to look at those areas.
Now, strategy number two is to create moments of space in your sessions. I think this is such an important strategy to improve attention and performance uh, with your patients. A lot of times when we're engaging with our patients in terms of our assessment and treatments, we're engaging in what uh, physician and medical educator Dr. Ronald Epstein will talk about as goal-directed attention. We take a, a linear, top-down approach to our thinking. And, it, and in this mode, we're, we're seeking to achieve a particular goal. It's, I got to do this special test. I have to evaluate this range of motion. But the problem is, is that the brain then says, okay, I'm only going to, I'm going to tease out any information that's not related to that particular goal oriented action. And so what it does is it limits our ability and openness to receive stimuli that's outside of achieving that goal. And, and you may say, well, what else do I need to be looking at? It could be something that the patient is saying to you. It might be a particular pattern of movement that you might miss uh, noticing. It might be a postural cue that um, might seem incidental to what you're actually trying to do. I, I remember having a patient a little while ago who was dealing with some low back issues and we were talking and, and I was sort of like, what else is going on here? And then I just tuned into how he was sitting. And it wasn't like I was trying to assess his sitting posture, but I noticed his sitting posture. And he was just very much in a sacral sitting position, very much a posterior tilt, like, and, and really, and, and actually his whole trunk was leaning back behind his center of mass. And so then we started to explore that. And then that actually turned into a really uh, valuable lever in terms of addressing from a treatment standpoint. So the goal is to create space in your sessions to allow your mind and body to be open to be both receiving and processing that stimuli. So I want to share with you a few ways that you can create a physical and that perceptual space. Hey, Andrew here. Just a quick break from the podcast as I wanted to let you know about an innovative web-based tool that I'm building that's going to help optimize your treatment approach and achieve better results with less stress. The reason I'm building this app is to help myself and other therapists more deeply understand our patients so that we can avoid the potential pitfalls that can jeopardize treatment outcomes. So much of what impacts treatment is hidden below the surface, and this tool will help adjust how you approach each patient based on who they are. Think of it as Outcome Measures 2.0. Make sure to check out the show notes for a link to sign up to get my latest updates. All right, back to the show. So the first off is, is look at your patient from a different angle. And I literally mean from a different angle. <laughs> change your visual perspective. When we change our visual perspective, it gives fresh perceptual perspective to how our patient holds themselves, how they move, their posture, all of that. You know, a little while ago, I, uh, I, my family, we were celebrating a birthday and uh, we did this uh, you know, group art class. And so we had this art instructor come and we're going to paint a bird. And so our family is, we are not artists in any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, and we're trying to uh, start to rough out the shapes of the bird and the body and the head and where this bird was sitting on the canvas. And the art instructor gave a really good recommendation. She said, turn the picture of the bird that we were looking at, turn it upside down. And when you turn it upside down, you have a completely fresh perspective in terms of what that shape should be where that shape should be in relation to the edge of the canvas. And what's interesting with art is that we can create this, our brain has visual representations of what a bird should look like. Oftentimes, 
quite crude and rough in, in its <laughs> detail. <laughs> and so when you turn it upside down, your brain doesn't have that same perceptual representation that it's used to associating with a bird. And so it allows you to actually create a more accurate representation of that bird. And so when we, with our patients, when we look at them from a different physical angle, we can start to get a better understanding of what's going on and not just fall into what our mental representation is or should be of that patient. For example, if you are looking at uh, someone's squat and you always look at them from behind, look at them from the side, look at them from the front, look at them from a slight angle, right? Whatever it is, sh change it up. And when you change it up, even if you're like, well, I don't know if I'm really going to get anything you know, different from this, what else am I going to see? Allow yourself to be open to taking in new information and new stimuli from that different perspective. Now, the second thing is to actually slow down your experience. And what I mean by that is that you actually want to slow down your talking and slow down your physical testing. Do it in a more deliberate fashion. So for myself, when I do this, when I'm assessing range of motion, I will literally slow down the process of testing range of motion. I could do it faster. And again, a lot of times you think I've got to do it faster. I don't have a lot of time. I got to run through this. This is a standard part of my exam. It's a routine test that I do, but allow yourself to slow it down slow down the process and, and even slow down your talking to the patient because what you're allowing yourself to do is you're creating space. You're creating space for you to take in what's going on, but you're also giving space for your brain to be able to process what's going on in the background. And that gives you that time and it's not wasted, right? When we really think about it, if we do a range of motion test a little slower, it's really going to shave off just seconds from how much time you're actually spending in your assessment. The next item is to take time to jot down notes regarding your assessment. And so this is something that I do and I will, you know, jot down, you know, assessment findings as I'm going through my exam. Uh, and this mini pause has a purpose, right? It's giving your mind time to process. It's giving you some mental space, uh, but it's also giving you a pause so that you can look again with fresh eyes at what's going on when you come back. Now I'm not talking like come back in five minutes. I'm talking like jot something down, you know, 20, 30 seconds. Now, if you feel uncomfortable doing that, or if you feel like, oh, the, the patient's going to wonder what I'm doing, you just highlight that and let the, give them a heads up before you start your assessment. Say, hey, I'm, I'm just going to be jotting down some things as I go along. I just find that it's easier for me to write this down so that I don't forget when I'm writing up my chart notes, if that's okay with you. And, and I mean, I've never had a patient say, no, I, I'm not okay with that. And, but again, we put this pressure on ourselves that I, I must not deviate from my assessment and I must not write anything down or whatever it is. And, and again, I think we're losing that opportunity to create space for ourselves and it's, and it's a much needed space. The next item is to actually tune into your breathing, become aware of your breath going in and out. Again, one of the big things is that we have to manage our stress response when it comes to our perceptual focus. So as our stress response increases, we end up having a narrower perceptual window. We, our focus gets smaller. And the problem is we don't want smaller focus. We actually want to be broader. We want to be able to take in more. And so when you tune into your breathing, you help to create some of that necessary space. And you can actually tie this into your evaluation. So for example, you might take an in-breath as you're testing hip range of motion, or you, know, or you might to breathe out as you're doing that. Whatever it is, see if you can play a little bit with your breathing pattern as you're going about your examination. One of the things that I find is really helpful is that 
when I sit down with a patient and I sit down on a stool and I'm getting a history or I'm getting an update from the patient. And as I sit down, I just breathe out. I have created this pattern where when I sit down, I just let a breath out happen. And again, it's just a way to, again, calm yourself, reduce that stress response, but it also creates that space and improves that perceptual space as well. Now, the other thing that you can do is create stillness to increase receptivity. And what I mean by that is pause in between your patient sessions if possible, right? And I'm not talking, you know, do a five minute meditation. I mean, obviously that would be fantastic, but a lot of times we're running from one room to the next, um, seeing one patient uh, to the next. And so it's not going to, we're not going to have that kind of bandwidth or time for that. But even if you can create a, a short moment of pause with your patient, that can make a huge difference. And what I mean by that is like, say, for example, you're going to sit down and you're going to chart your note before you see your next patient. Just again, breathe and slow down and even just do one breath in and one breath out. What's really interesting is that our breath in stimulates our sympathetic nervous system and our breathing out stimulates our parasympathetic nervous system. If you can even just focus on just doing a longer exhale and even doing one or two of those before you actually write your chart note, or say it's after you've written your chart note and you're going to see your next patient, right? You create those really many, many gaps or many breaks in your schedule so that you can reset your yourself so that you can, again, reduce that stress response so that you can then have increased perceptual awareness. And so you want to think about this, how you can start to incorporate this in your day. What I find so fascinating is that we talk to our patients about winding down the nervous system and reducing that ramp up that can happen with persistent pain and acute pain where the nervous system just gets uh, more uh, excited. And we talk about how important it is to not let that wind up happen perpetually. And we need to have those moments to reset that uh, wind up. And so what's interesting is that as clinicians, we have to ask ourselves, are we just perpetually staying wound up from a stress response standpoint when we're seeing patients? And what kind of impact is that having on our clinical performance. We think that we can just multitask. We think we can just stay in this excited, sympathetic state and that we can just overcome whatever negative impacts there are from that. But we have to recognize that again, that impact of narrowing our perceptual uh, awareness and reducing that cognitive space that we need to be able to connect the dots, to understand what's going on and to be able to uh, sort through various stimuli. The third strategy is to embrace a beginner's mind. So in meditation, they talk about this, the beginner's mind. It's this mindset of an attitude of openness and withholding preconceptions. It's a place of deep curiosity of the world around us. This idea of I'm just have a fresh slate. I'm not coming in with any preconceived notions. And, and I think this is a really important strategy to take when we're wanting to improve our clinical performance. The, the challenge though, is that sometimes when we move into a place of curiosity is that we can feel vulnerable. I think there's two reasons why we can feel vulnerable. One is that when we become more innately curious, we may have questions that we don't know the answer to, and we can feel less secure in ourselves with that. We can feel less confident because we've started to become more curious, but those questions of curiosity have led us to a place where we maybe don't know the answer. And the second thing is that I think that it can feel vulnerable when we move into a place of curiosity, because there is a, a vulnerability with our patients that we start to engage with that. We say, look, I want to explore this, but I'm not sure where this is going to go. And there's a vulnerability in that because we may 
come up short with that. And, th and that may make us feel uh, inadequate or that we're not measuring up in the eyes of our patients. And so embracing a beginner's mind, embracing this sense of deeper curiosity is something that needs to be done on a, on a consistent basis and in small incremental ways so that you can do that without engaging our psychological immune system, where we start to get, uh, you know, that threat to the ego that can happen if we start to experience too much vulnerability and not a, and a lack of safety. So there's a couple ways that I found really helpful to foster curiosity in the sessions with my patients. So the first strategy can almost seem too simple, but if you actually embrace it on a daily basis, almost make a practice of it, it can make a huge difference. And it's the strategy is this, is to ask why more often. So let's say that you have a patient in front of you, again, where let's take knee pain, let's say that's insidious medial knee pain and you suspect it's meniscal in nature. When you ask why more often, you'll be like, well, why is that meniscus irritated? There wasn't any particular trauma that happened. What's going on? What could be contributing to that? What could be contributing to that excessive loading of this tissue? Or maybe there's some excessive skin sensitivity along the adductor muscles in addition to the medial joint line tenderness. And you, you, you say, I'm curious about this. Why is this, why is this happening? What else is going on here? Right. And so when you start to ask why more, it allows you to start to explore beyond the site of pain and start to look at these different areas. It really ties in nicely with that zooming in and zooming out. Now, the second strategy is to bring the patient into the process, share with them what you found. You have this uh, likely suspected meniscal issue, but you want to explore other potential contributors to that particular clinical presentation. So when you do this and you engage the patient in this process, what it does is it, this conversation itself actually gives you space to be able to process what's going on and how to look at things. But the other brilliant thing about this is that it engages the patient in the process. It becomes much more collaborative. You're blending curiosity with patient collaboration. And that's such a powerful combination. And I think when you engage the patient, you hold lightly to what the outcome is gonna be. You, in, you communicate that there's an understanding that this outcome, I may find something, I may not, right? And so when you do that, what it does is it also takes some of the pressure off. And sometimes it even is helpful to think of this as I'm going to play a little bit. I'm going to give myself a few minutes to explore what's going on. I don't know if I'm going to find anything, but I'm also not going to put a lot of pressure myself to find something. And this is why having some time in your assessments and reassessment time and, and treatment sessions, that actual physical time is important too, right? Because you want to give yourself that space and that opportunity to explore so that you can actually look at what's going on and really be able to engage in that curiosity process because it's amazing what you will find when you start to go down that path. So before I wrap up, I want to just do a, a bit of a recap in terms of what I covered in today's episode. There are really three strategies that I'm recommending to improve your clinical performance and improve your ability to see in a deeper way that helps you to get better results. So the first was to change your area of focus. Zoom in, zoom out, allow yourself to be able to shift gears in terms of how you're looking at your patient. The second strategy was to create moments of space in your sessions. And this is both physical space, but also perceptual space so that you're open to receiving new stimuli and be able to look at the patient in a new light, looking at them from a different physical angle, slowing down the experience, 
taking time to jot notes down during your assessment, tuning into your breathing and creating stillness in between sessions so that you can decrease the stress response and improve your ability to perceive and improve your uh, perceptual awareness and capacity. And then the third strategy was to embrace a beginner's mind. And this was really about moving into a place of deeper curiosity. And, and one way to do that is to ask why more often. Become more curious with your patients and engage your patients in that process. Make it a collaborative experience between you and your patient in terms of understanding what else could be contributing to what's their clinical presentation. So as my last thoughts and for this episode is that clinical performance is affected by many things. There is so many things that affect clinical performance. And we often feel that just having more information is the answer. But what I would encourage you is to look beyond information as a source of improving clinical performance. And I want you to look at your attention and your ability to maintain attention and your ability to truly see your patient. By paying attention to how we pay attention, we can optimize our focus, improve our decision-making and get better results with our patients. So thank you for hanging out with me today and hearing how to improve your clinical performance. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify to stay up to date with future episodes. Here's to less frustration, more flow, and better clinical results. Take care.